There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch, hosted by the CM Group. Free Lunch will bring listeners the team's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast with Greg and Colin. Greg, here we are. Where are we? Middle, end of January. Snow is on the ground finally in Calgary. My wife was wondering if we were ever going to get cold weather and snow. And I said, I guarantee it. And as we record this, it's it's bleeding cold out there. Is that just a cover-up for another word? No. Uh, well, it could be. Yeah. Like freaking. And it's freaking a cover-up for another word. No, that's what I meant. No, that's what you meant. Okay. It's cold and it just highlights again the cycles of nature that everybody in December when we had a brown Christmas was like, oh, is it ever going to snow? Well, of course it's going to snow at some point. We live in Calgary. Global warming or not, is snow is coming. Well, and if you live in Calgary, the prairies, you actually, the reality is you have to hope for snow. We've already had a water shortage in Calgary last year with water rationing, and we need snow. Mountains need snow. Farmers need snow. I love snow. Nobody loves snow. Do you ever notice how like snow on, if you ever watch like a Hallmark movie, not that I watch a lot of those, but it always makes winter to look so elegant. It's so delightful because it's never 40 below. It's snowing and it's three above. Yeah, but the snow here, it's not white, it's brown. It's Everything gets dirty. And Anyways, this is not why we're here today, but... But anyone that lives here can certainly relate. Well, I think it's a good segue into what I want to start today's conversation. And today's conversation is really just a mash of things that are going on in the world and just some ideas. Anything can happen. You called it a potpourri before we started. The thing I wanted to start with is recency bias and maybe this idea that winter is upon us and it's snowing. And people were wondering just last week, are we ever going to get snow? It's just a form of recency bias. And this is coming true in the markets as well. I had an interesting call with somebody the other day, and they were talking to me about how the stock market wasn't going to have a good year. And they really wanted to talk about what GIC rates were available because they wanted to protect their wealth. Have you had any of those calls? I have, sure. Yeah, and it was interesting to me that this person was so worried about the current headlines as in the first few weeks of January, considering that we just had, I think, nine weeks of positive returns in the stock market to end 2023. And the stock market in the US was up over 20% on the S&P 500 at the end of the year. I don't know, it just got me thinking about why are these headlines driving this response now? Because if you look back at the first 10 months of 2023, the market was down. Yeah, it wasn't very good at all. I believe August, September, October were all negative months. They were terrible months. And so back in those months, you had recency bias of people saying, what are GIC rates at? And then we had just a phenomenal end of the year. And now the next year has started off flat to slightly negative. And now people are asking about GIC rates again. But I don't really get it. When the stock market's down 20%, I kind of understand why people are asking that question. When the stock market's down 0.2%, what's the trigger, Greg? Yeah, and I guess it's always that fear of loss, loss aversion, another behavioral bias. And it's just, okay, well, gee, things were really bad. I don't want to lose any more. Or things recovered. I don't want to give it all back. 
So it's, we've talked over the years about the cycle of fear and greed. Greed sounds like a nasty word. Let's just call it fear and euphoria. Euphoria, you feel good when things are going up and you can look at your statement or worse yet, look at your value of your portfolio every day and see daily movement up. But nobody, we know that that a loss is far more emotionally demanding than the euphoria of a gain is. So loss aversion, I think, is just one of those things that we deal with all the time. And many people, it's very difficult to sort of take the long-term view all the time. So I think loss aversion, yeah, it's just if I can get 5% on a GIC, why would I take any risk at all? It's a very good question. But the question is not, can I get 5% on a GIC? It's how long can I get 5% on a GIC? Because right now, yeah, you can get a one-year GIC at 5%, but you get a, can't get a five-year GIC. So get a GIC 5% this year, what are you going to get next year? I think that's the motivation, though. It's fear. It goes back to the beginning of 2023 when you had those same conversations and people were like, well, geez, I can get a 5% GIC. And 2022 was definitively a horrible year. But even back then, we are like, okay, great. You buy that. Let's say you bought a two-year GIC paying 5%. You know that the yield curve is flattening or essentially going to normalize. So when that GIC comes due in 2025 that you bought in 2023, you locked in 5% for those two years, but the stock market did 20% last year. And it's not even 5% because if it's in a non-registered investment, well, you've got to pay tax and it's at your top marginal tax rate. It just seems... I guess the point of this part of the conversation is that it, the root cause to me is that age-old question of, am I going to be okay? Yeah, exactly. But when you get into the talking about the short term, and so that recency bias, okay, well, this happened recently, and it all depends on how top of mind the returns are. I was reading an article the other day where they were talking about the January effect. And so there's this saying how goes January, so goes the year. So this is out of the Trader's Almanac where they talk about how, well, okay, if January will determine how the year goes. If you have a lousy January, then the markets will be down. If you have a good January, then the markets will be up. That's just not true. Yeah, of course. But then there's another one that says, how goes the first five days of January, so goes January. So basically, if you buy in that if January is negative, then the whole year is negative and vice versa, then now they've taken it down to, okay, well, now the fate of the year is all determined by the first five trading days of January, which seems like a bit of a stretch. Well, that's it. We're selling it all then. Sell it all, go to cash. No, that's not proper advice. Okay, so you talked about some biases and I was talking about some biases and it really relates to the psychology of money. An excellent book written about this with the same title by Morgan Housel called The Psychology of Money. A very good book. I'd recommend to anybody. Would you recommend that? I haven't read it. I've actually, it's on my Kindle, ready to be read, but not yet. Well, let me recommend it to you, Greg. It's an excellent read. And I've had the pleasure of meeting Morgan Housel a couple times and very sought after speaker. Anyways, what he talks about in the book is that all these biases, and we've had other behavioral people on our show over the last few years. Daniel Crosby, Sarah Newcomb from Morningstar, and others. Russell Investments comes out with something called the Valley of Advice every year, in which they actually try to calculate the use of an advisor in regards to return in a portfolio. And there's four segments that they calculate. They call it A, B, C, and T. A is for active rebalancing, B is for behavioral coaching, 
C is for customized experience, and T is for tax smart planning and investing. The one area that provides every year the most value to investors is the behavioral coaching one. So this last year in 2023, guess what the number was? I couldn't guess. They calculated it as 1.95%. That's a lot. And the total, I won't go through each of the items, the value of advice was 3.9% for 2023. Roughly half of that coming just from the behavioral side. So that behavioral side would be talking to people about not selling out when things are down, not buying GICs when things are going up, things like that. And for everyone listening, this is not us coming up with these numbers, by the way. This is a large money management firm, pension manager, and that kind of thing. For those that aren't familiar with the name Russell Investments, I bet you are familiar because they used to run some indices called like the Russell 2000, the Russell 1000, etc., Those indices were bought by the London Stock Exchange Group a few years back, but it just highlights the name of the firm that goes back quite a ways. And there's still the Russell 3000 is still the large total market index in the US. So that highlights, well, I guess we could just end the conversation there. Just deal with an advisor. No, I'm just joking. But there has been a lot of research done on people that manage their own portfolios using data from direct investing sites. And there's a lot of evidence that people on the direct investing sites tend to trade more often. They pay more in taxes because they're trading more often. They're spending more in fees, if maybe not so much now as they did before. But the whole issue of selling out early or reacting to news headlines. That's actually a good point, a good segue to the next section I wanted to talk about was the noise that's around us right now. Those headlines can be around things like government shutdown, the impending U.S. election, and then all kinds of other things. Those headlines can, when they are added in with the recency bias of the market being slightly negative, could lead to some fear, which could lead to people making decisions to sell out at the wrong times, which exactly is what Russell Investments points out from a behavioral coaching side is what you're trying to avoid. And when you look at the market last year, it summarizes and exemplifies everything that we talk about when we talk about being out of the market. If you miss the best five days of the market, your return is dramatically different. And just look at people that maybe got out early last year because it wasn't a great start to the year. And certainly the summertime and early fall was particularly nasty. If you missed November, December, that was it. There's a five or 6% difference in your final return. So that's over one year. One year, that's right. And so you don't like to be hit over the head with it, but sometimes the market just serves it up that way. That's what happened last year. A lot of the things we talk about are directly contrary to what the financial headlines would urge you to do. Yeah, like the one that came out a week or so ago was around the idea that the government might shut down because they're out of money and how there was a big standoff between Republicans and Democrats over linking the immigration policy to aid to Ukraine and uh, aid to Israel. Yeah. Anyways, the the punchline is the government didn't get shut down. They've raised their credit limit something like 90 times in the last 60 years. They're one of the only governments that actually has a limit, and I don't foresee it being shut down in the near future. And if it is, yes, there may be a short-term effect on the stock market, but in a way, so what? What else do you got over there? 
Well, what other things are in the news these days? Inflation, interest rates, of course, continue to be in the news. The news right now around inflation is that it's come down tremendously. Actually, there was a one handle on the inflation rate for November in the U.S. in some of the reports I read, meaning that it was below 2%, which their target is 2%. So I guess inflation is not rampant the way it was at the beginning of last year. There's no debate about whether it's coming down. I mean, it's absolutely coming down. And with that, we are expecting to see some interest rate cuts potentially this year. Maybe what the analysts are forecasting is mid-year interest rate cuts. And if that happens, you're going to see probably, well, the expect, expectation is an increased return in the stock market. So going back to the recency bias of the call I had the other day, would you buy a one-year GIC right now to lock in 5% for the next year if we expect that we're actually going to have a pretty good year in the stock market? The answer is likely not, with the added bonus that if interest rates do come down, then that's going to be positive for bond holdings, in which case a bond is like a GIC. It's just the way most people buy bonds are through funds. And so you don't get the specificity of, okay, well, one year from now, I get my money back in cash. And that's really the main difference. So we've talked about that in the past as well. Speaking of bonds, funny story. A few years ago, I was at the PIMCO head office in Newport Beach, listening to a global Mac review of fixed income at the time from one of their senior analysts. And a question from the audience, and the audience was investment advisors. The question was so stupid, Greg, I felt bad for the person. Their question to this person, given a global macro view of fixed income was, well, what about Enbridge bonds? And it's so specific to one company and one issue, it threw the speaker off. To me, this is what's happening in regards to noise right now. You can pick out little bits of data, but they don't necessarily mean anything. Well, in fact, I just read a headline this morning on CNBC, top Wall Street economist Ed Hyman sees recession this spring. Maybe he'll be right, but they've been calling for a recession for the last year and a half now. There may be a recession one day. I mean, that's called the business cycle. And when a recession happens, or the economic cycle, I guess, but I mean, when the recession happens, it's going to happen one day. And so the longer it takes, you know that when a recession happens, regardless, economists will be high-fiving each other that they called it. But calling it three years or two years in advance doesn't really help because you might have missed out on a plus 20% year in the stock market or a plus 5 or 6% year in the bond market, which was how last year worked out. And even if you weren't in the S&P 500, if you were in a more diverse index than the S&P 500, you still probably had 10 or 15% on your stocks by the end of the year. So again, and I guess we kind of beat the drum on this one maybe a little too much, but you just can't change your strategy or your tactics even based on a prediction of a recession happening. There are so many variables. There's a lot of talk right now that the stock market is overvalued. Maybe it is on a price-to-earnings ratio basis, trading at high levels relative to history. It doesn't mean it's the stock market's going to tank tomorrow or next month or the month after. Maybe stocks just go sideways for a year while earnings catch up, and then the P.E. ratio goes down just by virtue of earnings going up as opposed to stock prices going up. I want to relate this back to college football because we just finished bowl season. Congratulations to the Michigan Wolverines, by the way, on winning the college football championship. Are you a Michigan fan? Sort of. Only because I've attended a couple of their games live and in person. And from what I remember of them, it was a lot of fun. Well, there was a lot of debate this year because Florida State finished the season undefeated. And there's a group of 
people that determine who makes the final four, so to speak. They did not include Florida State in the final four, the semifinal championships. Despite being undefeated. Despite being undefeated. And so there's a lot of people out there saying, well, how can this be possible? You let in a team or two that had a loss on their year, and here's this team that was undefeated. Punchline is, Florida State ended up playing Georgia in, I don't remember which bowl it was, Orange Bowl, one of those bowls. Georgia was the reigning champion the last two years, and Georgia also didn't make the Final Four. Do you know what the score was in that game? I do not. Florida State got beat 63-3. to So there were a lot of so-called experts out there that were screaming that Florida State should have made it into the finals, and they got killed. So to me, this relates to the market. And I know this is a bit of a stretch, but I don't think it is, is that there's a lot of people out there like this person you mentioned, this top Wall Street economist. Well, first of all, how do you get the title as top Wall Street economist? Is that a self-proclaimed title? You might, maybe you've been right 60% of the time. So what that they call for a recession? At the same time, everybody else that I've read is calling for interest rate cuts in and around that same time that they're calling for a, a recession. And if there's interest rate cuts in that time, as we mentioned, then the stock market's probably going to go up. Probably. It's the central bank's way of mitigating the negative effects of a recession. So they're trying to stimulate activity, stimulate consumer spending, cut interest rates, good for the bond markets. It's good for stock markets because they're always looking forward. That's the thing. The markets are forward looking. At this point, the markets don't look like they're predicting a recession anytime soon. No, it doesn't feel that way. Let's go to the next topic, which is cryptocurrency. Something that we don't talk a lot about because well, we don't really invest in crypto and we don't really recommend crypto. But an interesting development in the U.S. has been the fact that the SEC has been debating whether or not to allow some ETFs listed that are Bitcoin product ETFs listed in the markets in the States. And that's really driven the price of Bitcoin in the last few weeks. Do you have any thoughts on this? Well, my only thought is that it's a highly speculative investment and the value of Bitcoin through an ETF or however is probably largely going to be driven by demand for it. So if everybody wants to get on board and own this thing, then they're going to have to create more Bitcoins in order to have that ETF it's got to cover their positions, right? So they've got to own the Bitcoin. They've got to create new units. They've got to go out and buy Bitcoins. And demand is going to push the price up. And lack of demand is going to push the price down. And to this point, no one has really come up with, well, what is a fair value for the price of a Bitcoin? It doesn't create anything. It doesn't earn any profits. It does nothing. What's a fair value for an intangible asset that you can't see or touch? It's big news, but it certainly won't affect us or any of our clients. I have a theory about this. Do you remember when Tesla said they would start accepting Bitcoin for the purchase of Teslas a few years back and the price of Bitcoin skyrocketed as a result of that? And then one day Tesla said they're no longer going to accept Bitcoin for the price of their purchase of their Tesla vehicles and the price of Bitcoin fell, plummeted. And now recently on X, formerly known as Twitter, owned by Elon Musk, there just happens to be a fraudulent post from the SEC that they are going to allow Bitcoin ETFs to be listed immediately, which if you link that together, Greg, I think Elon Musk owned Tesla when he said they'd accept Bitcoin. I think he owned Tesla when they said they wouldn't accept Bitcoin. And he owns X when there was a fraudulent, am I a conspiracy theorist? I think that's the road you're heading down. 
last thing I want to talk about is this idea of being busy. We're in this time of year where everybody feels busy. You hear this a lot. In my household, I hear this from my daughter. She's in grade 12. She's writing her grade 12 diploma exams. She's a constant stress case to the point where I want to say to her, honey, you're in a period of your life where you are not busy. After this, you are going to go to college and you are going to get busy. After college, you're going to get a job and you're going to get busier. At some point, you're probably going to maybe get married down the road and maybe choose to have children to which you will feel even busier as you're trying to juggle all those things. And then I'm going to get old and you're going to have to take care of me, which will make you even busier. Well, that's probably the thing that could fall off. I guess this sort of came up with me because I hear it a lot from everybody around us. You talk to people and they say, you know, how are things? Oh, I'm busy. Can we just accept that we're all busy in our own rights at all times and that everybody around us feels just as busy? Yeah. I have one person always says to me, well, I said, yeah, how are things? Busier in a one arm paper hanger. I have no idea what that means. None. Busier than a one arm paper hanger. I don't get it. Maybe for the next podcast, we'll try to figure out what that means. Well, you like these old sayings, the Ogi Barra ones, if you come to a fork in the road, take it. I just like to mix it up, bring in some old stuff that nobody says anymore, wherever possible. You're cycle dating right now. I know, I shouldn't do that. Okay, well, I don't know. I don't have anything else for today. Would You got anything you want to? Well, I just want to say one thing about 2024. And 2024, and it ties back to, I was just reading some other headlines. 2024 will be a stock picker's market. That's from the Financial Post, December 30th. A stock picker's market. So does that imply that 2023 was not a stock picker's market? Well, according to Yahoo Finance on February of last year, 2023 was going to be the year of the stock picker. I guess we're all stock pickers, but not in the way that they're intending. What they suggest is that, okay, well, last year the indexes did well, but oh, that's because the Magnificent Seven stocks were in there. And if the Magnificent Seven weren't there, then the index wouldn't have done so well. So you got lucky last year as not being a stock picker, but this year is going to be different. They say that every year. I think 2024 will be a diversified portfolios market where somebody holding a lot of stocks and a lot of bonds and with good geographic diversification, I think that's going to be their market. That's my prediction. Well, we already did predictions, Greg, because so you're late to the game here. No, I know. Well, we're already a month in, so I'm updating my prediction. Well, it goes back to that discussion we had about being an expert a few years ago. I mean, if you just pound the table long enough, whether you're a bear or a bull, and you just stick to the same story, at some point you're going to be right. So if they keep saying that each year is going to be a stock picker's market, one of these years they're going to probably be right. The problem is that it might take a long time. And which stock picker? Because there may be a lot of stock pickers that don't do so well, as we know from our previous discussions. So I think this is the year of the diversified portfolio. I remember when I first got licensed, which goes back to somewhere around 2000. And I remember feeling scared because I was newly minted, newly licensed, and now I could go out and tell people which stocks to buy. I had this feeling, how do I know which stocks to buy? Just because I'm licensed, I don't get it. And at that time, we've talked about this before, I gravitated more to diversified mutual funds than being comfortable telling people which stocks to buy. And over the years, you got more comfortable with the stock market and you felt like, well, maybe I do know a bit about which stocks to buy and started doing that for a while, only to realize, I really don't know. Now, here we are back 20 some odd years later. What are we telling people? 
by diversified positions, whether it be a diversified separately managed account or diversified mutual fund, a diversified ETF. I'm with you. It's not a stock picker's market to me in any year because you got to know what stock and who the heck knows. That's right. It always comes back to that in the end. Well, I guess that's it. That wraps it up. That's it. Next time. You bet. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insights on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC with Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth consists of services provided by CIBC and its subsidiaries, including CIBC Woodgundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Woodgundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kaminsky are investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates, or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking, or other services for or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc. 2024.